Our reading this morning will be taken from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 45. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 45, and if you're following in the Pew Bible, that will be on page 967, 967. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Before we begin this morning... Uh, it seems only fitting to take this chance once again just to say thank you to the congregation here. Uh, this will be our last time to worship with you in this capacity. Hopefully, uh, we look forward to many more worship assemblies down the road as we come back to visit and spend time with each other. And uh, just want, there'll be plenty of time uh, tonight to have more of this discussion, but just want to thank this congregation uh, for the way that you've supported myself and my family, uh, for the elders who have done such a wonderful job uh, in leading us and supporting us. Uh, the office staff and ministers have, have become some of my closest friends, and uh, we're just so grateful uh, for the years that we have here. And we might not be close to here in location, but Mount Juliet is always going to be very close to us uh, in our hearts. Very excited that, that Evan is on board and is doing a tremendous job with our education program. It's great to see that uh, going full speed ahead. Uh, there was a tremendous teacher's workshop here yesterday that Evan coordinated, and so we're excited so much to see what God is going to continue to do uh, through this congregation. The theme this year has been, With God We Can, and I think it's going to be amazing to see what God will do through this congregation uh, in the years to come. As we think about that theme and we think about the study that we've been uh, embarking on through the book of Acts, that brings us to Acts chapter 2. And so if you haven't already, let me encourage you to be turning there in your Bibles. Acts chapter 2, while you're turning there, let me welcome you, especially if you're a guest with us here this morning. I hope we have some that are here for our Bible class emphasis day, uh, that you're going to be in a Bible class with a friend and that you've decided to come and be a part of our worship time together. We're thrilled to have you. And as I was thinking about this text that follows the sermon that we just recently studied, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, I was reminded of something that took place just a couple of weeks ago as Catherine and Luke and I were flying in uh, one evening. Later in the evening, it was kind of a late flight that was getting into Nashville. And I don't know if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, uh, there were some pretty serious storms in the area. And so that caused some pretty significant turbulence. Now, if, you've, if you're in an occupation where you fly often and you've been in a lot of planes, it probably wouldn't have been as big a deal to you as it was to me, someone who, who flies only occasionally. But uh, we were there, it was at the end of our trip, and, and Luke had been a good sport, and we'd taken him in and out of, of rental cars and through security and got everything settled. And so we, after our own little bit of of turbulence with the Phillips family and our row of the plane. We got that all settled down, and so we were fine. But then we started some of that airplane 
turbulence as we were coming in for a landing. And something that really struck me is, as we were, uh, as we were sitting there and things were beginning to shake a little bit, again, frequent flyers probably wouldn't have phased, but I was a little bit nervous. The conversation right behind me between the two gentlemen sitting there, very quickly, as soon as things started to get a little shaky, turned to religion. In fact, they started talking about their faith in heaven and who they would see in heaven. And that's not very comforting when you're in a flight where you're experiencing some turbulence, but that's what they were talking about. And it struck me as I was listening to that conversation, isn't it interesting that when we experience a little turbulence in life, all of a sudden we're very focused on God and spiritual matters. Have you ever noticed that? A little bit of turbulence in life can change our perspective. I probably don't need to tell you the attendance numbers for churches all across America right after the terrorist attacks of September 11th. They, they skyrocketed. People were searching for answers. Something that was so tragic had caused turbulence in life. In fact, as we look at the world around us, we're experiencing some turbulence. And, and it's during times like these that sometimes we're more apt to focus on what God has to say for us. We're more interested in spiritual matters. In fact, we've even seen a renewed interest in the past few years in spiritual matters, even in the public arena. A man named Hamant Maida, who was a writer, made a name for himself by writing a book recently entitled, I Sold My Soul on eBay. And the premise behind it was he had put his soul on eBay as an auction item and he described his faith. He is an avid atheist. And so the winner of that auction took him to several different worship services where he sort of checked out what all these different religious groups were like. And the book is, is his journey as he goes through all of those different experiences. And it, it's, it's really given rise to a whole series of books where people are surveying different religious groups and different, different religious organizations. And we get a sense in the world around us, not only is turbulence causing people to desire God and desire a relationship with him, but also to ask a question, what kind of church should I belong to? If I want to serve God, what kind of church should I belong to? And so many times people start looking at the menu of what's available in the world today, trying to determine what is the church the Bible talks about? What is the church that God began? And you may be here this morning if you're a guest with us or even if you've been with us for some time and you may be asking that question, what church should I belong to? How do I know that I'm a part of God's people? And this morning, the good news is we don't have to look in a, a book that's recently been published to find that answer. We don't have to look at a comparative survey of different religious groups. The answer to what kind of church pleases God is found in the text of Scripture. And as we look at Acts chapter 2 and see the beginning of that church, we find a snapshot of the early church. And if we can look at the principles behind what those Christians were doing, we can learn how to grow spiritually. We can learn how to be a people of God that can handle any turbulence that might come our way. And so as we look through Acts chapter 2, we're struck with what happens right after Peter delivers this incredible sermon. You remember that during his sermon, he was interrupted by people asking questions concerning how they should respond. He responds by telling them to repent and be baptized so that they can be saved. You have thousands of people putting Christ on in baptism. Can you imagine what that would have been like? to be there in Jerusalem and to see person after person after person become a Christian. Thousands of people. 
It must have been an incredible scene. And it continues in the verses that Jeff read for us. Beginning in verse 42, we see they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. We continue reading in verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We can tell by looking at this chapter, this is a very unique time in the life of the church. You may remember that the day of Pentecost was very special in that you had Jews from all over the surrounding areas in Jerusalem. That's why at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, as the apostles are speaking in tongues, that was such a powerful sign that the message was from God. Because Peter was able to stand up and address everyone. Uh, They would have shared a common language. They would have known Hebrew and, and the spoken language at the time, Aramaic. And yet, to be able to speak in the different dialects and the different tongues from their homeland was a sign this message was truly from God. And so as they're all together, you can imagine hearing this sermon... And then all these individuals become Christians, and the question is, what do we do next? And so you have this incredible picture of Christian love and fellowship, where you would have had individuals that lived in Jerusalem sharing their homes and possessions, even later on selling their homes and giving those proceeds so that those around them could be supported, sharing food with each other. You had people from out of town that needed a place to stay, that needed food to eat. And so you have this incredible experience as the church begins of Christians sharing with one another. It's not something that we see as a prescription for for the church in years to come, even later on in the New Testament. But it's a description of how much they loved each other and how concerned they were for each other. And there are principles behind what happens in these few verses that will help guide us as we seek to be the church that God would have us to be. As we want to grow spiritually. And the first thing we find in verse 42 is that this church, the church that was established in Acts chapter 2, was constantly learning. Did you notice that that's the first thing mentioned in verse 42? They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. In fact, sometimes we forget that we don't have all of Peter's words recorded here in Acts chapter 2. He's sort of interrupted there. Uh, the people are cut to the heart and they're so intent on getting an answer, they, they don't even wait for an invitation. They interrupt Peter and ask what they need to do. And so Peter explains the plan of salvation. And then as he continues to teach in verse 40, with many other words, he solemnly testified, kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And so what we have in Acts chapter 2 recorded isn't the totality of what was preached that day. And during that time, you can imagine the apostles continued preaching and continued teaching. It makes a lot of sense when we think about being devoted to the apostles' doctrine, a word that just means teaching. Those Christians didn't have the completed New Testament that we hold in our hands. They, they wouldn't even have had copies of God's word, Old and New Testaments, available the way we have them, where we can have several copies in our household. And so it was so important for them to be sitting at the feet of the apostles and learning and asking questions. That was an ultimate priority for them. It wasn't enough just to be baptized 
and then quit and then coast to the finish line. Baptism for them wasn't a finish line. It was a starting gate. And after they became Christians, their life of service had just begun. Their life of learning had just begun. And so they continued to learn. As we think about the teachings of the apostles that we have recorded in the New Testament, wouldn't the obligation be for us to continue to learn that Christians never arrive in our knowledge of God? Have you ever had a conversation with someone who was convinced that he or she already had all the answers? If you're like me, I can think back to times in my life where I've been that person who thought he had all the answers. Boy, it's difficult to have those conversations, isn't it? It's difficult for you to talk with me if I'm convinced that I have all the answers. How much more difficult is it for God to use his servants if we're convinced we've already arrived, that there's nothing left for us to learn? And yet the life of a Christian is one in which we're constantly learning, in which we're constantly growing. I like to think of Paul's life as an example of someone who is constantly learning, and constantly growing. Think back for just a moment to the kind of resume Paul would have had in describing his knowledge of God. Not only did he have a tremendous secular education in the city in which he grew up, and then a tremendous education in the law, sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, so he had those tools at his disposal, but did anyone have a more powerful conversion story than the Apostle Paul? As when he was Saul... On the road to Damascus, he was stopped and had a revelation from Jesus Christ, a direct communication from the one that he would later serve. Wouldn't it be tempting, if you had had all those experiences, to think you had it all together? To think you could sort of coast through the rest of ministry? I don't know about you, it might be tempting for me to become a little egotistical after I'd experienced all that Paul had experienced. Yet think of the way he describes himself in the letters in the New Testament. We don't see someone who is caught up with his own ego. In fact, when he would write to the church at Corinth, he would describe himself as the least of the apostles. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 9, writing to the church at Ephesus, he would say he was the least of all the saints. Ephesians 3 and verse 8. He would even write to Timothy and describe himself as the foremost of sinners in 1 Timothy 1.15. Now, do these statements sound like someone who thought he had it all together and didn't have any more to learn and any more room to grow? These phrases don't indicate that Paul had a a problem with self-image or self-esteem. It shows us that this man of God was constantly reminded of his own imperfections and of God's grace. And was constantly finding ways that he could grow, that he could develop. The life of a Christian is one of lifelong learning. doesn't matter how many years I've served God, that doesn't give me a free pass to stop learning more about him. In fact, one of my favorite passages describing Paul is found in the book of 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, about verse 13, where he writes... Uh, some personal statements to Timothy towards the end of his life. And one of the things that he wants Timothy to retrieve, he says, not only could you bring the cloak, but he also mentions a book, the books, especially the parchments. Now we have to be careful. We don't know exactly what those were, but I think it's reasonable to to assume those could have been copies of, of scripture. Those could have been copies of God's word. Those would have been things, whatever might have been contained on those parchments would have been things that could have helped him continue to develop. 
And it's very consistent with Paul's character that he would want, even at the end of his life, to continue to develop, to continue to grow. If I want to be a member of the church described in Acts 2, I need to be constantly learning. One of the joys as I was thinking through and studying through this lesson was to reflect on the ways the Mount Juliet Church of Christ has displayed these characteristics in the time we've been here. And as I was thinking about this uh, principle of a church that's learning, I was reminded of what we have seen in the past couple of years as we've really began a focused effort in our daily Bible readings. Now, I know that's something many, many of us were doing, and from talking to many of you, it's something you've done for years. And so it's not that it was a new idea, but something about doing it together. How many times in this past year or even in the last few months have you been in a conversation with someone who said, you know, I had never noticed this before, and then pointed something out from that day's reading? I've heard individuals that I greatly respect for their knowledge of Scripture point out the fact that there was, you know, there was something I had never seen before. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that even when I've been studying God's Word, as long as that individual has, if they've still got room to grow and room to learn, then I do as well. So if we want to be a member of the church in Acts 2, we need to constantly be learning, constantly devoting ourselves to that teaching. But there's something else that's found in a very special way in these verses. And that is that this church was a church that was sharing. Do you notice how they were sharing together? The church is described with these phrases. They were continuing daily with one accord. Look at the unity that's implied there. One heart and one soul. They have this fellowship where even they're they're going from house to house and spending time with each other. You know, when we use the word fellowship, oftentimes we're tempted to think of what might happen at a certain event, a fellowship event or, or a fellowship meal. And those are wonderful. Fellowship includes those, but it also goes far beyond that. Fellowship is a very important part. In fact, in these verses, it's, it's seen as essential for the early church to be fellowshipping with one another. To have that deep kind of fellowship rooted in the relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, that's something that can take place as we assemble to worship together. Oftentimes we're familiar with Hebrews 10 and verse 25 where we're reminded not to forsake the assembling together. But sometimes we forget that in the verses preceding that, we see that we're challenged to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And so part of that encouraging one another and spurring one one another on is related to getting together to worship, assembling together to worship God. There are blessings I'm going to miss out on if I'm not a part of the worship assembly. There are fellowship blessings that I'm going to rob myself of if I don't come together to worship. So rather than ask the question, well, you know, why do I have to come together if we're going to have a Wednesday night Bible study? Or why do I have to come on Sunday nights? A better question might be, I wonder what kind of, kind of blessings my presence could share with others and what blessings I could receive by being with God's people. You see, if I, if I slide into a Bible class or a worship service and I don't connect with the people around me, I'm not involved with my brothers and sisters' lives, I'm robbing myself of a tremendous opportunity, of a tremendous blessing that God has provided for me. How challenging is it to struggle alone when God has given us the opportunity for such wonderful fellowship? And it doesn't necessarily have to be limited to a fellowship meal or a fellowship activity. Not only do we share in fellowship when we assemble together, but 
We also share in fellowship when we're involved in each other's lives. There are so many little ways that have seen this happen in this congregation over the years. One of the ones that stands out is just about a, a year ago on the birth of our son when for, for the first time I really fully understood and appreciated the value of our food committee. Now, if you've been in that situation before and you know how busy things can be and all of a sudden you've got brothers and sisters in Christ that are bringing by food constantly, what a wonderful way to show fellowship. I thought about sending out an email that said, hey, Luke's doing fine, but hey, can we keep the food coming? This is great. You know, it's, this is a, a wonderful way in which we show each other's love. There, there can be so many little activities like that, ways big and small, that we can show that fellowship that we see here in Acts chapter 2. And it's, it's a non-negotiable here. It's essential to being a part of the church. If I want to be a member of the Lord's church, I've got to share with my brothers and sisters. So I've got to be learning. I have to be sharing. And then we see here that their lives during this time were characterized by worship, worshiping. And we see that as they're listening so attently, uh, intently to the apostles, that in verse 43... Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And then turn over just a a page or two in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4 when we get a similar passage that provides us some insight. As they've come together with great power in verse 33, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. And so you have the apostles telling the story of Jesus with great power. And they're coming together. They would even come together and gather on Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch, an area that would have been large enough for many to assemble together to hear the words of Peter. They are not only spending time together, they're spending time in worship, praying and praising God. Now, have you ever wondered why worship can be such a sensitive issue? It's a difficult one for us to even talk about, isn't it? It it, it really strikes at the core of some different opinions we might have or different feelings we might have. But there's a principle in Acts chapter 2 that I think would help us go a long way in in solving any discussion uh, that we might have about worship. And we see that in the motivation of the worship in Acts chapter 2. Did you notice as they were talking about the sense of awe that they felt, the wonders and signs that were taking place. Verse 47, they were praising God, having favor with the people. Did you notice that they were praising God, they were worshiping God, and the reason they were doing that was because of the message that had been preached. The message of Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, that's what the apostles were sharing so powerfully, the message of the Lord Jesus. And it seems to me that it's a matter of motivation in Acts chapters 2 and 4 in the way that they worshiped. Sometimes as we discuss worship, our language might even betray us a little bit. If I'm not careful, I might be tempted to think about what worship should do for me, what I should get out of worship, how worship should make me feel. Yet what I see here is people thinking about what God had done for them. Do you see the difference there and how we approach worship? If I approach worship thinking about what worship should do for me, all of a sudden my opinions and my guidelines carry a lot of weight. But if I'm focused on what God has done for me, the way these Christians were in the early church, focused on what was taking place through the apostles, taking place through the story of Jesus, all of a sudden their prayer and praise was adoration to a God who had blessed them tremendously, who had by grace given them something they could never have deserved. 
And I think if I could focus on what God has done for me rather than what I want a worship service to do for me, I think my worship will not only be more pleasing to God, if we do that together, there probably won't be nearly as many questions or disputes over what should take place in worship. Because if I'm thinking about what God has done for me, then I'll want to worship him in the way that he's prescribed for me. I want to worship him in the way I see in the New Testament. And many of the questions we face today could be erased from the conversation if we're thinking about what God has done for us. And if we need to be reminded about what God has done for us, just think about what these Christians were focused on. They were focused on the wonderful things God was doing through the apostles. We have an inspired record of that. So while we weren't there to be eyewitnesses, we can rejoice with the same things that they were rejoicing with, what God had done through the apostles, and the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the same things about which we can be amazed and inspired. And if we can constantly remind ourselves of that, then we'll be able to worship God in a way that pleases him. I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. Because that shows me that worship isn't dependent on my emotions or how I'm feeling. It shows me that worship is dependent on my understanding of what God has done for me. And even if I come into this auditorium and, I, and things haven't been going well in life, and emotionally I'm not on a very high level, I can still focus on what God has done for me. And when I'm focused on what God has done for me, I'll be able to worship and focus my mind in worship that pleases God. As we think about the importance of worship in our assemblies, I, I was reflecting this week on all the different times together in, in worship that I have, I have left here with incredible memories of what's taken place, been inspired by what I've seen in the brothers and sisters around me. But that happens. We focus and worship God in a way that's pleasing to him when we're thinking about what he's done for us. Have you ever wondered why God created memorials even for the Israelites, to remember what he had done, why the Passover was necessary. You would think that deliverance from slavery would be something that Israelites would never forget. Yet God created the Passover because he knew that human beings need reminders. We just participated in an observance of the Lord's Supper. We need to be reminded of what God has done for us. And when we do that, worship is going to be a natural response. And it's not going to be a worship that's dependent on what we want, but a worship that is ultimately striving to please God. And so as we think about learning and sharing and worshiping, there's one other aspect that's very unique to this situation, but a principle that carries all throughout the New Testament, and that is serving each other. We've already mentioned that these Christians were coming together. They were selling their homes. They were selling tracts of land, and they were donating that money so it could be used to help those who were in need. Look at the way they're described In Acts chapter 4, not one of them claimed anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property. For there was not a needy person among him, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed as any had need. They were serving each other. They were giving up their possessions for each other. Again, this isn't uh, something that seems to be prescribed by the apostles. It's not commanded there. We see even later on, as Paul would address different churches, specifically as he'd write to the Corinthians and talk to them about the Lord's Supper, he'd remind them that they had their own homes to eat and drink in. And so we see this, this was a special occasion. As we see other congregations, we see that they do, they do own their own property, and yet the principle behind serving one another is still the same. 
the principle behind giving up and sacrificing in order to serve the needs of my fellow Christian still remains. We see it in a powerful way here. And we continue to see it as, as you think about all those who would have been from out of town coming to Jerusalem, supported by those in Jerusalem. Later on, Paul is going to go around and make a collection for those saints that are poor in Jerusalem from other congregations. So now we have other congregations that Paul would write about in, in 1 Corinthians 16 and Romans 15. He'd write about a collection he was taking in order to take back to those who were poor and needy in Jerusalem. It's a beautiful illustration of the way the body of Christ works together. In fact, I can't think of a better example of that than what's happened here in this congregation in the past couple of weeks. As we know that recent economic issues have really shaken many of our lives and hit, hit many of us very hard. And so to have a time where a congregation comes together and says, we're going to donate specifically for those who have been affected by the recent economic situation, it's a wonderful example of this very spirit of serving one another. That's the kind of church we read about in Acts chapter 2. This church was going to experience turbulence. In fact, it's persecution that would eventually cause the church uh, to spread. And one of the ironies that we read about in history, the more the church is persecuted here, the more it continues to spread, the more widespread its influence becomes. And so this is a church that was going to face turbulence. In fact, if we look at what's going to happen in the next few years of history and those that were followers of Christ that would be persecuted, those that would lose their lives in service to God, we might be tempted to see our problems and our challenges in a little different light. They were prepared for turbulence because they were part of a church family, both in local congregations and then as congregations helped fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, they were part of a family that was learning that was sharing, that was worshiping, and that was serving. I've seen that in the life of this congregation in the past few years. I know that will continue to be the case. If we continue to display that, we'll grow spiritually. And so when it comes to a challenge to try to find the right church or where we need to belong or what kind of church is the one that serves God, I need to be looking for one that matches this description, this New Testament description. I'm not going to find the answer anywhere else. I've got to find it in God's word to find a church that is fulfilling that role. And if we find a church that's fulfilling that role, we'll have those same kinds of results. Did you notice the results in Acts chapter 2 when all of that was taking place? That as that was happening, the Lord was adding daily those who were being saved. The Lord was adding to the church. And if we maintain these principles, the Lord will continue to do the same. You may be here this morning and you may have had that mindset where you're trying to find a, an anchor for these turbulent times. You're trying to find a, a church to belong to that'll help you get you through this turbulence. And if you're here this morning with those questions in mind, uh, the good news is the church that we read about in Acts chapter two is open to every single one of us. The way we become a part of that is by submitting our will to God's, turning our lives around, putting him on in baptism and beginning to walk in that life where we're learning, where we're sharing, uh, where we're serving, where we're worshiping God. And there is a room full of Christians this morning who would love to celebrate a decision to become a member of the church or if you are a member of that church and, and some of life's turbulence have gotten you off track and you want to come back into the family, there is a group here that would love to rejoice with you, to encourage you, and to pray for you. If you have any needs that we can help with, if you'd come as we stand and sing together.